This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Factor. If you want to eat better this year and are looking for fast, healthy, restaurant-quality meals that are ready to eat and easy on your budget, Factor is the perfect solution. So head to factormeals.com slash TV50 and use code TV 50 to get 50% off your first month's order and 20% off your next month. That's factormeals.com slash TV50 and use code TV 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hello there. This is Roy Finnis. You're listening to TV Confidential. If you can see it, you're lucky. <laughs> Robertson, welcome you to this week's edition of TV Confidential Radio Talks about television that will bring you encore presentations of our conversation with Roy Thinnis of the Invaders and Robert Colbert of the Time Tunnel in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, our first hour will be a continuation of a conversation that began last week with Joseph Doherty. Joseph Doherty, Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, and director, and the author of a new science fiction novel called The First Cylinder that draws inspiration from the famous invasion of Earth by Martians that H.G. Wells depicted in his classic novel, War of the Worlds. Only Joe tells the story from the perspective of the Martians. The first cylinder is available right now through Fayetteville Mafia Press and Amazon.com. Dan Barron and Tony Figueroa are also with us. We've been talking about obscure science fiction TV series from the 50s and early 60s. Shows such as Science Fiction Theater and One Step Beyond shows that more or less served as a prototype for later shows such as The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits. As we pick up the conversation, Dan Farron is about to bring up a new topic, why time travel is a popular theme both in science fiction television and science fiction in general. There's been so much science fiction and time travel in all these different ways. And again, I I have to feel that Part of the reason why time travel oftentimes fits in with science fiction real well is because also of the belief that who wouldn't, for at least a moment, consider about going back in time and changing something, either for themselves or for the world in, in, yeah. in, in general. Generally, the, the sermon there at the end is the fact that you're best just to leave it alone and just learn to adapt with it instead of going back and, and, and changing it. But there's so much time travel in science fiction. It's a core. Yeah. I mean, the, the Twilight Zone with Russell Johnson. I remember seeing that, and I, was, I think I was like 14 when I saw that one for the first time. And then they did the one with Buster Keaton, which I just loved, you know, for yeah, totally Richard different Madison. reasons. Yeah. You know, he's teamed up with a guy who sold tribbles later. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it was just delightful just to have the use of the silent movie, uh, you know, the cards and everything, and then switching over there and just having a story that was just fun. Yeah, the, well, the Buster Keaton one is grass is greener. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, because they dreamed about the, you know, the world was better in the past or it's going to be better in the future. And, um, there's an hour that gets done. There's a Dana Andrews. Do you remember that one? The hours don't get talked about because there are successful ones are few and far between. But Dana Andrews actually goes back in time to try and find the perfect place to live. And he learns that something terrible is going to happen. And he struggles, 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 struggles. 
and then in the end realizes not only did he not stop it, but he's the reason it happened. <laughs> and yeah, uh, which is um, often the moral in many time travel stories. Not only you know they caused the thing they went to prevent. Yeah, don't and you don't know. Don't don't swear. Well, it's a Bray Bradbury story. It's uh, Sound of Thunder. Don't step I'm on a, a butterfly. Yes. Yeah. I we were at a Q and A with Bob Gale, and he was talking about that Twilight, the one with Russell Johnson, and the movie The Final Countdown. Uh, when it comes to time travel, and he said, you know, when one of the things that he had behind Back to the Future was he didn't want to deal with events that people already knew how it was going to play out. Sure. He yeah. wanted to create something that you he goes, you know, the guy's not going to save Lincoln. You yeah. know that everybody on the Nimitz is not going to, pro, you know, prevent Pearl Harbor from happening. You just know, you know, we want a story where you don't know. Anything. Well, that's why I think that's why, and that's why, and I think Gail and Zemeckis will tell you this. I think I've heard them say this. That their that their touchstone was was time after time, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, as as being arguably the perfect time travel movie, uh, and that's oh, that's what's his name, uh, Wrath of Khan. He did the day after, and why can't I think of this writer's this really good writer's name who also directs Nicholas Meyer? Nicholas Meyer. That's absolutely solution. correct. Uh, now we're going to go on to the lightning round where the scores can really change. And if you win the lightning yes. round, you may win a copy of Joseph Doherty's new book, The First Cylinder, a breakout science fiction novel, the tradition of Kurt Vonnegut, Ray Bradbury, and H.G. Wells himself. Tony is holding the first cylinder to the camera. You can the first cylinder available right no. now, Amazon.com, Fayetteville Mafia Press. Joe Doherty is the author of the first cylinder. Uh, he is with us along with Tony Figueroa and Dan Farron. We're chatting about uh, uh, favorite obscure uh, science fiction shows, science fiction programs. Uh, that uh, we fondly remember or that uh, make us think of sci-fi, uh, you know, when we first discovered them as well as today. Dan was about to ask Tony a question. See, Tony, uh, since you're the youngest guy in the Zoom. I'm the youngest one in now. the room, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, we, and, you know, so so we're starting from a place of hatred. <laughs> so, so why don't you bring us into the 60s and tell us uh, what, uh, what uh, caught your attention? No, well, my older brother was, you know, all about Star Trek, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Lost in Space, and Batman. Uh, you know, when I was little, I mean, I, 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 you know, first Batman was the one that I was kind of glamming on to. Uh, I didn't have a full appreciation for uh, the other three shows until I was a little bit older. Uh, Channel 5 here in Los Angeles uh, used to have uh, on Saturdays, from four to five was Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and then from five to six was Star Trek, both Saturday and Sunday. And then I think they had a Star Trek on weekdays. So that was really, I think, when I started watching them on my own without having to play 20 questions with my brother, who would just tell me to shut up and wait for the commercial. <laughs> uh, you know, those, I think, were the early ones that were really getting to me, that were speaking to me. And it kind of goes uh, with what you were saying about the hope of the future. I think Star Trek... Uh, really helped solidify. I didn't fully appreciate it when I was younger, but later on when I could see, oh, these stories still hold up. These are timeless. Uh, more Star Trek than Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and Lost in Space. But you know, I and... forgot about I forgot about Irwin Allen. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had he had losses, but also don't forget Land of the Giants. I remember that uh-huh. as a and as a time, kid. In fact, and time for, and time tunnel and time tunnel. No. Uh, I got a, I got a chance to to talk for about five minutes with Gary Conway uh, about uh, and and he. He swears that Land of the Giants was the the biggest hit in the world. They took it off the air, and it was standing room only in, in overseas, and they should never have done that or whatever. But I love that. And, and Time Tunnel is another one. Uh, you, you hit on that. Uh, my friends and I used to go out, and we would play Time Tunnel. Afterwards, we go out, and all we do is we do a slow-motion roll. And, oh, now it's 1942. Oh, we roll like that. Uh, but even Lost in Space um, – I mean, Lost in Space is fascinating to me because it, it, it fits into that. It fits into that weird. Um, it's not really science fiction. It's kind of more action adventure, but there's still enough but that's there. More, but that's but, more your Buck Rogers. Yeah, exactly. That. But there was something. Uh, you know, the first four or five, six episodes of Lost in Space is black and white. And, and I would say, I would say the the pilot's and, probably closer to science fiction as. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. It was a little hard, and Dr. Smith had to, Dr. Smith went from the evil scientist to the funny uncle you hope you don't sit next to yes. at Thanksgiving dinner. Yes. It was, you know, kind of like what happened with Colonel Clink. You know. It was like, that, and, what's, what, and the dad was Zorro, what's his actor's yeah. name? Guy, Guy Williams. Guy, Guy Williams. Guy Williams. Guy Williams. Guy Williams ended up being, he thought it was going to be a show about him and June Lockhart. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, whoa, no, uh, we think this Michael J. Fox guy is much funnier. Yeah, we're, Lock- we're just gonna make Lock- the show without you. <laughs> right, Lockhart wanted never wanted to see a collie so much in her entire life after the first mm-hmm. season of yeah. that. I think, but then because, it, it but, turned it, it turned into Will, Doctor Smith, and the robot. Yeah, mm-hmm. which must yeah. have driven the other actors. But nuts. but it did have a bang up John Williams score. Yes, uh, yes. It has. And and I, if you go back and listen to John Williams when he was Johnny Williams, yes. Johnny Williams, yeah, at Twentieth Century Fox, his scores for Irwin Allen are just he's like the last guy to come through that studio system his score for a very forgettable movie um, Guide for the Married Man is just (laughs) (laughs) now I got Ed I got a good laugh from Ed now so Um, but it's but it's like he was just like he was Johnny Williams and he wrote these uh, these magnificent cues for, for uh, Lost in Space, they, I mean, I bought like the f- anniversary um, CDs, and they come up in the car sometime, and they're just great pieces of music. See, I mean, like, was there anything? To, I mean, like, we. I mean, so you actually had like a, a semi-normal childhood, and were affected. By I, I had that, um, <laughs> and and let me throw this out because I've never talked about it on TV Confidential. I talked about it at uh, Story Salon. I was not a good reader as a child. I had uh, a little problem tracking the words. I could read the words. I had a, a big vocabulary. I could define them. I could do it. But I had trouble. So it was not something that I enjoyed. I was not like you, Joe, that you know would rush to the uh, library. I was much happier with comic books or scripts because the, the way that everything was structured. And this was something that got corrected, uh, I mean, the first semester in college. And and, uh, and and you know the therapist in college said, "Let me guess. When you were following the words with your finger, the teacher came over and slapped you." And I said, "Yes, because we still had corporate punishment." 
I'm the youngest Catholic person school. in the room here, but I still got smacked by my teachers. We're bringing, we're bringing Catholic, school. We're Catholic school. We're bringing Catholic, Catholic back, school right? and Catholic yes, school. Yes, so that, I remember when that law changed. I was in the fifth grade. <laughs> so anyway, so so I wasn't the, the, the person who was reading the Ray Bradbury and all that. Uh, Star Trek did have the uh, video novels, I think they called it, which they took episodes, took stills from the episode, oh, turned them into yeah. a comic oh, book. Yeah. That was I did Blitz that. Uh, but my mom gave me for my 12th birthday two record albums one was orson wells and i think it was the mercury theater doing dracula yes and the other one was uh frankenstein and she would she would also try to buy me classics like Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and mm. and robinson crusoe Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea kind of spoke to me more than the three musketeers or robinson crusoe uh because of the idea of this submarine and i had already learned about the real nautilus going under the polar ice caps and then to see, oh, that that was inspired by this science fiction story, you know. So that, I, I got a connection there. But to listen to the radio stuff turned something on with me about using your imagination, and I thought that was cool. Uh, and then to go with what Dan said, after Star Wars, after Star Trek movies, after a lot of the stuff that you know was really, you know, I think I was the target for when that came out. Uh, I was living in Puerto Rico, and on the local PBS station, they had a show called Saturday Matinee at the Bijou. Yeah. And they would have a host come on and said, this is what it was like back in this time. And they would have all the coming attractions, the previews, all the stuff that you would see in the movie theater. So you might see an early black and white Looney Tunes, you know, very early Daffy Duck or, or Porky Pig and then you would see a trailer for something that would be coming in a couple of weeks, and we would watch Flash Gordon. Yeah. And, and I, you know, the first time I'm seeing that, and I'm seeing the opening credits, and I'm going, this is Star Wars. And, you know, that, this is a time when there was Star, you know, uh, New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. So, and I'm going, this is, you know, my dad's telling me, he said, this was my Star Wars when I was a kid. And I'm yeah. seeing, obviously, a miniature model with Fourth of July sparklers out of the back. And everybody from the planet Mongo apparently was Chinese. And um, so I was watching a lot of that and just getting so much inspiration off of that. It's like, wow, this, I can't stop watching this. You know, it's, it, yeah. it's, it's really cool. Was, and it, was it mythic? Was it more mythic than... I mean, now there's so much world building as opposed to, well, everyone's Chinese. And... And the babes are hot. Huh. Yes. That that was the one constant. The babes were always, I mean, it looked like, you know, they all looked like rockets. It didn't yeah. matter, you know. Tell me, tell me of love on your planet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, really, Flash Gordon, it was no different than the women on Venus and Abbott and Costello go to Mars. I, I don't, you know, where did uh, Earl Carroll Theater, did they just bring everybody over? They and... did, they did that crab walk yeah. across the space station, and there they were. <laughs> Well, no, you're right about the world building and those things and those and those uh, Flash Gordons. You know, you had you know these kind of people and and the barbarians, and you had different. So you could go off, and I think they probably created that because that way they could okay, we can spend two chapters here, and then we can spend two chapters here, and then we can come back and argue with Charles Middleton for a while. You know, yes. Uh, so that's what they that's what they used to do. But I think there was something also as you talk about the world building. It was it was very exotic. I mean, all of a sudden, you know. Here were, here were these these guys who could fly, and then there was uh, you know all the monsters, and then the uh, uh, all the stuff like that. I, I think there's something 
when you're young that way, it's it's a fascination. It's seeing something that you don't hopefully don't see every day. Uh, no, because it'll be a little, little terrifying if it would. But uh, but no, I love those Flash Gordon uh, serials. Joseph Doherty is with us via Zoom. Joseph Doherty, Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, and director, and the author of a new science fiction novel called The First Cylinder that draws inspiration from the famous invasion of Earth by Martians that H.G. Wells depicted in his classic novel War of the Worlds. Only Joe tells the story from the perspective of the Martians. The First Cylinder is available right now through Fayetteville Mafia Press and Amazon.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. One more item if you want to eat better this year. Our friends at Factor are the perfect solution. They have more than 35 fresh, pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, and Vegan, and Veggie that are restaurant quality with such premium ingredients as filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus, and which are all ready to eat and ready to eat with no prepping, no cooking, and no cleanup necessary. Check it out yourself by going to factormeals.com forward slash talk TV 50. Astrid and I recently checked out some of Factor's keto selections, including their roasted tomato and feta cavatappi with broccoli and red peppers, and the garlic and herb roasted mushrooms, while their three-bean chili with quinoa is just the right size for lunch. We also enjoyed their chocolate banana smoothies, which is just one of the more than 60 healthy and nutritious add-on options Factor provides that will help you fuel up and feel good all day, while best of all, Factor meals are less expensive than takeout. Head to factormeals.com slash talktv50 and use code talktv50 to get 50% off your first month's order and 20% off your next month. Factor Meals is celebrating Earth Day all throughout the month of April, so be sure to look for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Factor Meals is the perfect solution for fast, upscale, ready-to-eat meals. That's factormeals.com slash talktv50 and use code talktv50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Dan Barron and Tony Figueroa are also with us. We're having some fun talking about some of our favorite obscure science fiction TV series from the 60s and 70s. Tony. The other thing that it introduced me to was the cliffhanger because it was a trend yeah. that I had heard. In fact, there was a short-lived NBC series uh, called Cliffhanger. Called Cliffhanger. Uh, I did not know. what I, I was thinking very literal at that point. Uh, but I did not, oh, that's what it is. And, of course, when you come back, there was a scene that was added between the last cliffhanger. Yeah. Between the yeah. cliffhangers, you saw something from a different angle. I will it's tell when, you, tell it's me. When, it's when Dale Van, Van Zandt realized, I have to leave the car, I can't stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You see the car blow up, and then when they come back, you actually see the scene where he does the tuck and roll out oh, of the geez, car. Oh, jeez, i got to go out of here. Yes. So, uh, Tony, you talk about cliffhangers. That is a, a, a deep dive that is a real guilty pleasure with Mary Lou and I. I actually tracked down the entire series because what happened was it got canceled before the last two shows finished. Uh, there were three stories on each one of those. There yeah. was Stop Susan Williams, which was like an action-adventure thing with Ray Walson and uh, Susan Anton. Um, Anton. And then there was a really good Dracula thing with Michael Norrie. Yeah, called Curse, called of, Dracula. Curse of Dracula. 
And then there was uh, a, a Phantom Planet. I think they called it Phantom Planet because it was very much like the Gene Autry. It was a Western that when you were up on the regular world, it was in black and white. But when you went down into the, the lower section, underground, whatever, it turned into color. And it, it, was, a, it, it was, like I said, such a guilty pleasure. And NBC, It was the type of show that, that probably would have had a little more legs had N, uh, maybe three or four years later when NBC was on top. Yeah. Yes. But it was. This was the Fred Silverman taking over NBC, introducing Gary Coleman into everything. Hello, Larry. Super Train. Well, I think. Bj and the Bear. Yeah. I think. I think also putting it up against Happy Days and Laverne Shirley. That was not. That did not help it either. No. No. And leading into Super Train was even worse at that point. Uh, But, uh, but uh, such a great. Uh, uh, in fact, it was so funny because Mary Lou and I are going to this convention in a couple of weeks, and Michael Nori is going to be there, who played Dracula, and we're going to basically see uh, if we can be the most, uh, <laughs> most, most surprising person. Sometimes we'll do that with people. We will go up to people and say, "Hey, we love all the stuff you've done. You want Academy Awards for? It, but we love this." And they go, "Uh." And so, no, no and and so. and sometimes you you get lucky, Dan. Sometimes yeah. you get. Oh my yeah. God! You know you're the only person to remember that, or you may get uh-huh. nobody's asked me that in 25 years, and you'll get a great story that nobody oh. that nobody well, else has on earth. That's what you talk about. We we met Bruce Dern a couple of years ago, and uh, at, at a convention, and he had all the pictures out, and he said, "Which one do you want?" And with, with without a moment hesitation, I pointed to to the Zanti and went that one, and he goes, "I've done all these films, was nominated for Academy Award." And you're picking Zanti, and I and I said yes, and he goes, "It's a wise choice." <laughs> I I met John Delancey at a wedding, and I mentioned to, because I know everybody wanted to talk about Q or uh, you know a, a hundred other things that he did, and I pulled him aside. I said, "You know, I'm really enjoying Alien Voices." <laughs> which was something he did with all the Star Trek actors, where they were do they did uh, First Man on the Moon, they did. Uh, Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Now, the Lost World. Uh, they yeah. actually a lot of them did uh, War of the Worlds uh, yeah. under LA Theater Works, and and I said that, and he pulled me aside uh, over at the banquet table and said, "Do me a favor, write to the Sci-Fi Channel and tell them how much you <laughs> love the show, because we really need people to be. We need more people writing letters because you know the Sci-Fi is taken over by the people who introduced wrestling to USA. So yes. you know we really need yeah. more people about that." And uh, apparently he was told when they were doing First Man on the Moon if they could set it modern day. And uh... <laughs> Joseph Doherty is with us via Zoom. Joseph Doherty, Emmy Award winning writer, producer, and director, and the author of the breakout science fiction novel, The First Cylinder. Dan Farron and Tony Figueroa are also with us. We hope you'll stay with us as we continue our conversation here on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer, 
or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.